my name is Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. What seems to have escaped a lot of anglers these days is that it doesn't matter how much you spend on having the best rods, reels and ancillary equipment. If that little piece of bent wire you intend to drape your bait onto isn't up to the job, then really, everything else has been for nothing. In short, one of the least costly items not only can, but often does have a disproportionate measure of say in final angling outcomes. Yet so many anglers know precious little about the subject, are often prepared to make do, and begrudge making the appropriate level of investment. So to talk us through the topic of fishing hooks, I'm linking up here with Alex MacDonald, MD of Sakuma Sea Fishing Tackle, who amongst a wide range of other angling and related products, imports my personal first choice hook, which is the Sakuma Manta. We'll chat about the history of hooks generally, and Sakuma hooks specifically as we go along. But my first question comes from the introduction. So why is it then that anglers seem prepared to invest disproportionately less when it comes to hooks, and are more prepared to make do than with any other item of tackle? Do we expect too much from our hooks, and are we justified in doing so? Yeah, I think some anglers probably do expect a bit too much from their hooks. And yeah, you are right. Some anglers are willing to invest hundreds and hundreds of pounds in rods and reels and stuff, and maybe they won't spend that sort of money on their terminal tackle, which is, is more important in my opinion, really. The hook is the and your line as well, they're the main contacts with the fish. I suppose that in sea fishing especially, they're a disposable item of tackle. The sea is a harsh, um, it's tough on tackle, reusing hooks and things like that where it is possible. A lot of the time, if you're fishing rough ground and things like that, you might only be able to cast a hook out once and then you'd have to change it. So I think possibly that might play on anglers' minds and they think, well, we'll use cheap hooks because... We get through a lot of them and it could get quite expensive if you're using more expensive hooks. But it's a double-edged sword really because you could very well lose that fish that you're after because you're using an inferior product. So personally, I think a lot of anglers that spend the money on the rods and the reels, they will still spend their money on their hooks and their line and stuff like that as well because they know how important it is. I can understand anglers that maybe don't take their fishing quite as seriously and fish just for the social side of it that probably haven't got really expensive rods and reels. I can understand why they wouldn't want to spend money on expensive line and hooks and things like that because they're probably not targeting the big fish that you wouldn't want to lose. So I suppose the answer to the question is that I think a lot of anglers do appreciate the quality of the hooks. I think it's maybe not quite true that they don't spend the money on the terminal tackle. But at the same time, as I said, I I can understand that sea fishing can get expensive. The sea is harsh and it does hammer the tackle. But again, though, you do have to have good tackle to combat that. You mentioned there are some anglers using inferior quality hooks. What's also true is that many anglers try to extend the life of the hooks, say by washing them in fresh water, resharpening them, or smearing them with vegetable oil or even a blast of WD-40. But is it realistic to try to extend the life of a hook, and are there any inherent risks in doing so, such as metal fatigue from bending or resharpening? In a nutshell, what's the life expectancy of a hook? There's a lot of different hooks out there that are manufactured from lots of different sorts of steel. It depends really on the makeup of the hook. I do know certain patterns of hooks that you can bend back and reuse them. People might balk at that and say you shouldn't do that, but I've done it plenty of times with certain patterns, especially fishing on rough ground when you're using heavy tackle, where you can actually you can break your tackle free by bending the hook out, and then you can bend that hook back into shape again. And I've I've caught you know several good bullhouse on the same hook that has been rebent before. But I am aware that if I hooked a big eel 
or something like that, that there's a fair chance that you would lose it because of that. So again, you've got to think about the gear you're using and what you expect of the gear and know its limitations. I think that's key to it. I personally think with chemically sharpened hooks, once the point's gone, that's it, throw them away. I'm in a lucky position, really, that I can get my tackle so it's easy for me to do. Again, I can understand why people might want to make their hooks last a little bit longer, but I think once the point goes on chemically sharpened hooks, that's the main reason for using them in the first place, is the sharpness. So once you lose that sharpness of the point, people have said that you can get the point back using a very fine diamond file, but uh, I haven't tried that myself. I, I just throw them away and take another hook out. Saying that, if I reel the hook in and it's still sharp and it's the end of the session and I, I feel the hooks I, I, I always check my hook after every single fish and every time I reel in just to see if it's still got the sticky sharpness that I require if it has I'll carry on using it I will use a rag I'll dry it off at the end of the session and I'll, I'll put my rig back up and put it in a, a little mini clip zip bag and put it back in my rucksack but when I take it out again to use it I will check it still sharp because sometimes if you leave a bit of salt water or if it's in the packet it can actually dull the point of the hook so Again, if the stickiness has gone, I'll bend the hook. So I think you can reuse hooks, but only when they're still in a good state to use it. I'd never use a hook that had lost its sharpness. That's the main damage that happens with a hook, I feel. You know, it can lose its sharpness after catching fish. A lot of fish have got quite hard mouths and they can take the points off it. Just dragging a hook point through sand on a number of occasions can sometimes also take the sharpness off. Also bumping it across shingle and pebbles and up rocks and things like that will also take the sharpness off the hooks. You can get round that a little bit. Make sure when you're reeling in, walk to the water's edge if you can and lift the rigs out without dragging them up the shingle banks or up and over the rocks. Little things like that you know, are worth taking into consideration if you, uh, you want to give the life expectancy of your hook a little bit more. Hooks come in a very wide array of patterns, wires and even metal compositions. Can I suggest an overwhelming array to most people? But it hasn't always been that way. So talk us through the history of hook making, which even on a mass production scale goes back quite a few centuries, with the first ever hooks recorded by archaeologists dating back as far as 23,000 years. To be honest, you feel I'd, I would love to, but my knowledge actually on, on hooks going way, way back is probably limited. You may have a, probably a better knowledge just from what you said than I have. I was aware, obviously, that many centuries ago they were used, bits of bone and things like that. They used to sort of whittle away and make a hook. When I started fishing, this was a long time ago, back in the early 80s, I was into coarse fishing back then and I started doing a bit of carp fishing and there wasn't any purpose-made hooks back then for carp or very few a lot of anglers used to buy this salmon, low water salmon doubles and cut them down and solder blob them and that's what they'd used for the early carp hooks. I think that sort of pattern was then made. I, I do remember a Jack Hilton carp hook that I think was produced by Aitken but I think you did have Drennan with, with producing a few good hooks back then. I wasn't sea fishing back then so I don't know but I do know from looking back through the archives that O'Shaughnessy patterns and Kirby's and things like that were very popular back in those days. They're less popular these days, but they are still available. As I say, my history was that carp fishing when I first started fishing, and so I can look at that with a better view on the past, really. And you look at it now, and there's all these different patterns that are available for specific purposes and specific rigs. I mean, that was never the case, and I know that wasn't the case in sea fishing or probably game fishing or any of them, really. As fishing is so popular worldwide, I think it's the biggest hobby, bigger than golf and everything else. And there's so many different types of fishing, so many different specialist niches and things. 
now people are making specific products, especially hooks and that, to do jobs. So yeah, you're right. I mean, it's mind-bending, the different array of hooks. I can see how people can get confused. Luckily in sea fishing, there's probably maybe slightly less. I mean, if you take out the lure side of it anyway, if you look at just simple bait fishing, the patterns are probably quite similar to what they used to be, you know, Aberdeen sort of styles, things like that, because there hasn't been a massive need to diversify. But if you look at, as I sort of mentioned, the lure fishing and the way they're fishing soft plastics and things like that now, there's just so many different lures, so many different hooks to do these different styles, like drop shot in and things like that. It, it's absolutely crazy. But you are finding that certain patterns of these hooks are drifting into the sea market as well and are very good for different sort of targeting different species of fish. And I think, again, that's key. It's good to have this selection of hooks available because some are better at specific jobs than others. That's my view on it, really, but I can understand what you're saying, that it can get quite confusing for the angler to pick which one, but I think that's where he needs to do a bit of research and look, you know, these days with the internet, you can, there's so many blogs and people writing about stuff that it helps you make a decision on what hook to use. And, you know, sometimes it's not just what hook, the same companies, the brands have got the same hook, but just under different brands. You've got to decide which one suits your purpose or which one you think's the best for it. You know, some might be a little bit different, a little bit sharper, a little bit stronger, different wire strengths, things like that. It's all things to take into account. It may be confusing, but I think it's good to have that option. It just means you've got to do a little bit more homework and, uh, maybe try a few different types just to find the one that's spot on for you. So uh, I think it's a good thing. But then I would say that, wouldn't I, because I sell hooks. <laughs> just to tidy up the historical side, I don't think initially that they were made to any specific pattern. Then things moved over to Redditch, where the skilled needle makers were involved who started to mass-produce hooks, but without eyes. It was much later on that Harry Chomongby Pennell came on the scene with the first ever eyed version and started to standardise the sizes and patterns, which at the time everybody said wouldn't work. But now look. I don't particularly know, but I mean the only thing I can really comment on it is that spade end hooks is obviously a hook that hasn't got an eye. They're used a lot still in coarse match fishing. They're not used very much in this country for sea fishing, but I think they are a little bit more on the match side of it for sea fishing these days. In Europe and places like that, you know, spade end hooks are still very, very popular. And uh, as I said, I've got some good friends that do a lot of coarse match fishing and nearly all the hooks that they use are all spade end hooks. But you don't really see it in the sea fishing. As I say, my sort of first memory of it was I remember the carp, you know, the low water salmon doubles that they used to cut down and solder blob to make into a hook. But I don't really have any recollection of, you know, when they actually started making eyed hooks for that specific purpose. It's a, a little bit before my time. Reading the magazine sometimes, you get the impression that for certain jobs there are must-have patterns, yet at the same time, if like me you read a lot, you'll also see writers contradicting each other. Is it really that important then to be so very specific, or under most circumstances, so long as the wire is strong enough and the size matches the job at hand, in reality, most hooks will catch most fish most of the time? So as a hook maker yourself, in generic terms now, what is the perfect hook? I don't think there is one, Phil. That's the truth of the matter. I think if you were just targeting, say, one species with one type of bait, maybe you could drag that into a few different species and a few, with a few different baits you could pick a hook. Say, for example, an Aberdeen classic pattern. I think most sea anglers would be familiar with that style and uh, it is a very good all-round hook and you could use it for most species to a certain degree, but I don't think it's the perfect hook for every situation or every fish, far from it. And that's why there is more variety now, because anglers have called for it. 
if anglers didn't need it and they just all wanted Aberdeens and that's all that you would sell but the reason you bring out these new hooks and patterns is because the anglers want them and there's a gap in the market for it I mean you do soon find out sometimes you bring certain patterns in and they don't go that well so you've obviously got it a bit wrong or someone else has done it slightly better than you but I can't say if you looked in my fishing bag you'll find several different patterns that I use and sometimes I use two different patterns on the same rig you know when I'm using the a panel rig I'll use a different top hook to what I'd use for the bottom hook because in my view I prefer a shorter shank hook for the top hook on the panel and so on so again they're not just chucked out there to sell to people because you want to make money they're there because they're needed anglers want these different hooks for different applications that's my view and I firmly believe it I think it's a good thing really for that reason alone I think you are limiting your chances of catching fish if you're only using one sort of hook I suppose some people might argue against that but that's my view on it Personally, I, I like fishing for different species throughout the season when they come into season and, and change the styles of fishing a lot. If you're out on the rocks fishing for conger eel, an Aberdeen pattern, you wouldn't really want to, even a big Aberdeen pattern isn't suitable for that sort of fishing. The same for, uh, say, um, gilthead bream or something like that. With using crab or something, you'd want a short shank pattern with a wider gait. I think that's it. It's finding the patterns that you need for the fishing that you do. And if, you, if you're only doing, say, if all you do is fish in the, the winter for cod, then I, yeah, I'd say, yeah, you, you could get away with just using one pattern of hook, no problem at all. But most anglers that I know target different species throughout the year, and as a result of that, they're going to need to have different patterns and styles of hooks. Variety is fine, providing you understand what all the available varieties can do for you. So maybe you could talk us through the various choices and how best to make them. Yeah, definitely. Well, um... I'd say shank length can be very important, you know, for fishing baits like worms and sand eels and things like that, especially for flatfish and that. The length of the shank, it enables you to thread the bait up and keeps the bait in position better. As a result, most Aberdeens have got quite a narrow gape on them because you don't need a, a wide gape using worms and things like sand eels because they're not bulky. For that reason, then, say, an Aberdeen is absolutely fine. If you're using bulkier baits, such as crab, things like that, shellfish, squid, you'd want more of a wide gate pattern to keep the points proud and have a better chance of a hookup. So for that situation, yeah, I'd say a wider gate hook would be a better choice. Chemically sharpened hooks, pretty much most of the good hooks now, the best hooks are chemically sharpened. I think apart from some of the big O'Shaughnessy's and things like that, that people will sharpen up themselves, you'll find most of the manufacturers use chemically sharpened hooks. There is different grades of chemical sharpness. I've seen some hooks that are supposedly chemically sharpened that are probably blunt straight out of the packet, or at least some of the hooks are. So uh, just because it says chemically sharpened, there is different degrees of chemically sharpened and uh, I think the whole point of using that process is to get the point sticky sharp because in my view you will get more hookups by having a super sharp hook. Things like offset hooks as well, I know a lot of anglers swear by offset hooks for flatty fishing. You can do it yourself with a pair of pliers, you don't need to buy a specific pattern that's offset, you can tweak them yourself especially for flat fishing that. So yeah that's another sort of style of hook which as I said you can buy them like that or you can do it yourself. There's also take into account the species that you're fishing for. You know, as I said, different fish have different sort of mouths. Some fish, specifically gilthead bream and bass and things, have got hard mouths, especially the gilthead bream. And again, that's where the chemically sharpened hook will help because you will set that hook a little bit better into those, those hard plated mouths. But again, that same drawback, they will blunt the hooks quicker as well. I, when I fish for them, I'll change my hook after every fish pretty much because you will notice that it does take that sharp point off. So you will get through more hooks, but you will land more fish as well. What about the wire gauge and forging? 
basically to get a very good chemically sharpened hook you need to have a very high carbon content in the actual steel that they're using to manufacture it it can cause its own problems with having that high carbon content it might make the hooks a little bit brittle possibly so instead of bending the hook out of a snag the hook is more likely to snap so that is one of the sort of trade-offs i suppose in a way they're slightly less flexible than other sort of processes wire gauge as well you know you've got to think about that do you really want a really thick chunky hook when you're trying to present baits delicately things like maddies and stuff like that you know you want a relatively fine wire hook so that the baits blow lug as well things like that you don't want them splitting and, and stuff so it's worth thinking about things like that so a personal opinion i think it's trying to it's a bit like what the fly fishers say you know trying to match the hatch what you're trying to do is you're trying to match the right hook to the right species of fish that you're targeting with the bait that you're using. As I said before, there's a lot of things to consider when you're choosing a hook, and all of the things that you mentioned there are valid points for consideration. I mean, it's quite a lot. There's a lot of information out there as well, though, so it does help you in making that choice. I think, luckily, in sea fishing, a lot of anglers, all the advertising sort of blurb and stuff like that you see sometimes from other areas of the sport, I don't think sea anglers tend to buy that quite as much. They can see through it a little bit and they just take the product on its merit and use it. So I don't think you can bamboozle people with different facts and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's going out and using that hook really and, and finding if it's the one for you. And as I said before, there's a lot of similar patterns that are produced by different brands, but they have got different makeups. You know, some will be sharper, some will be a thicker wire. Even the eye size I find important for threading baits up and stuff like that. You need to have a nice size eye. You also mentioned barbs, another important thing. I've got a question for you on barbs specifically coming up. <laughs> oh, there you go, okay. Can I just tidy up material choice first with a comment on stainless steel hooks, which in theory at least you would think might be the perfect metal to go dipping into corrosive seawater? I think they're an old pattern of hook that's outdated now, personally. Um, I don't see anyone really using them. The only time I see them really being used these days is either by commercial longliners or by fly tires. I can sort of understand it from fly tying point of view. If you're tying a very good fly, you don't really want your hook to rust. But I think the coatings that you can put on hooks now is something we haven't talked about before. But a lot of times they use a different type of coating over the hook. Black nickel we use on most of our hooks. It's pretty rust resilient, but it will rust away eventually. But I think it will give you the, enough life of a fly anyway. So you could be able to use it on that, but I can understand why fly ties do still use stainless steel patterns, though, uh, for sure. it's You're not likely to lose them that often, so you might be using that same fly for, for lots and lots of trips. And I suppose, again, the salt water could take the sharpness off it, which could affect setting the hook in the fish. So I can see, to me, that's the only purpose that I can really see for stainless steel hooks these days, is for tying flies on them. From the commercial longliner's point of view, it's not something that I know anything about, but I can understand why they'd use stainless steel hooks, because they're going to be using them again and again, and there's nothing to do with fish welfare or anything like that. So I suppose I can see why that they would do that, and I think when you look through some of the um, the factories that still make the stainless steel patterns, I'd say the majority of them these days are made with that commercial longlining market, and a small percentage are made for fly tire. Right, let's take a look at those barbs. There is quite a range of barb options out there already, including things you can do for yourself such as crushing them down. So do we need them, or can we manage without them? For me, personally I like a hook to have a barb, and I think most sea fishermen would agree with that point. The main advantage I can see for having a barbless hook is the ease in which you can take it out of a fish. So if you're into catch and release and you like to put a lot of fish back, 
and you don't want to damage them, then by having no barb on there, I think that is the best reason for it. I mean, there is a massive debate in the coarse fishing circles. A lot of fisheries ban barbed hooks, but then there's quite a lot now that are also banning barbless hooks because they feel that they do more damage to the fish's mouth. What they're saying is when the hook goes in, it stays there, and when there's no barb there, it's more inclined to tear through the fish's mouth. So there's lots of arguments on either side of it. From sea fishing, I suppose penetration into the fish's mouth by having a barb on there, it might take a little more to set the hook, but these days most hooks are micro-barbed, so there's, it's not going to make much odds. And with them being so sharp, I think they, that counteracts that a little bit anyway. I think big chunky barbs and things like that, I don't think you've seen many patterns of hooks that have got those on them anyway. I suppose you could argue that the barb also you know, might stop if you're using bunches of of maddies and things like that by using a barbless hook or a small micro barb they might come off the actual hook i don't know i mean from a personal point of view i always used to like a barb hook when i was coarse fishing as well i just feel that by having a barb on the hook it gives you a little bit more security you know if, if for any reason the fish gets slack line if it runs in towards you it's possible the hook can pop out easier if it gets snagged up in the weed and stuff it, it's possible that uh, the fish can come off with a barb it, it'll generally stay in there I suppose, though, yeah, the catch and release thing really is, is the main reason possibly for using a barbless hook. But uh, in all the years that I've been selling hooks, I can count on one hand the amount of people that have actually asked me to produce a, a barbless hook for sea fishing. And that's the truth. If there was a market there for it, you'd be getting a lot more requests and you might actually think about it. I suppose the other thing is as well, is as you touched on, it's very easy to just take a pair of pliers to a hook and squeeze the barb down if you wanted to. As long as you're careful not to damage the hook too much, you can do that. But I think with these micro barbs that are on a lot of hooks anyway, they, um, that for me is the best. It's a little bit of middle ground maybe, you know. They're still quite easy to get out of a fish. So yeah, that's my view on sort of barbless hooks in sea fishing really. I don't think there's really much of a demand for them, but I could be wrong, you know. Maybe 10 years time we're doing it. I think yeah, the other reason a lot of course fishermen use barbless hooks and why there's so many sold is because a lot of the fisheries do specifically state that you've got to use barbless hooks and that's why the manufacturers make them because they've got to be used so sea fishing you've got no limits if there's no one telling you what or what you can't use not at the moment anyway <laughs> thank god so um that's why you see them in course fishing but not in sea fishing i have tried barbless hooks at sea and i've lost torque baits from them when trying to cast up tide for common skate and top these days, we now squash the barbs down, then put a small square of car rubber inner tube onto the hook, pushed over the squash down bump after the bait's gone on to help keep it in place. It works fantastically well, and comes out of tough skin fish much more easily, which tends not to stress them quite as much before release. Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, you have got another pattern of hook now as well, which for catch and release and fish welfare and that, it comes with its own set of problems. Circle hooks. Exactly, circle hooks. They're getting more and more popular these days for a number of reasons. I think if you are actually very keen on catch and release, it's probably the pattern for you because it avoids deep hooking as well, which I think even if you get a deep hook fish with a barbless hook, you're still going to damage the fish trying to get it out anyway. So, yeah, actually another thing I just thought of then with regards to hooks and that, it's worth bearing in mind that certain hooks, when fish swallow them, they'll rust away a lot quicker than others. Obviously a stainless steel hook, if a fish takes it deep down, it's never going to rust being stainless steel, so chances are it will kill or seriously damage that fish. I'm not saying other hooks that are deep down won't, but I think a lot of the time finer wire hooks, the ones that are still bronzed or have got like a plain sort of coating on them, will, will rust out with the acids and that from the fish's stomach or whatever, and there's a fair chance that fish will survive if you just cut the hook off and leave it in the fish. 
obviously by using a circle you shouldn't get deep hooked fish so that doesn't come into the equation so i think if you're serious about catch and release you really don't want to hurt any of the fish you're fishing for then um, circle hooks are the best choice but it is a but they're not the easiest pattern to use even though the amount of different styles is increasing now um it is still one basic sort of pattern i suppose and i don't know there's certain baits and things like that that aren't really suited for a circle hook but people are learning to use them with baiting needles, finding ways of threading the baits up the line and then putting the hook on afterwards and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think that would be probably the top choice for sort of uh, conservation-minded anglers. For the benefit of those who've yet to see, let alone tricircle hooks, describe the way in which they should, in theory at least, only ever hook fish in the scissor, even if they swallow the bait. From what I can see, the in-pointing tip allows the hook to slide around inside the fish's mouth, acting rather like a runner on a sledge. Only when it starts to exit the mouth with the running fish is it pulled around into a position where it can take hold, which with the scissor being the furthest point back, is usually the spot it bites into. Yeah, they're bizarre. I mean, I remember the first time I actually looked at one, I just thought, that can never work, surely. It's such an extreme change from the norm. The points are a little bit longer, and the actual point's just bent at right angles, really, and it comes right back in. I'll be honest with you, Phil, it's not a pattern I use a great deal for the sort of fishing. It doesn't suit my type of fishing, and I haven't found a niche for it in what I'm sort of doing, but, you know, more and more people are using them, so I can't comment too much on the hooking ability and things like that, but from reading articles and from what other people say about them, then all I know is that the percentage of times is probably as high as 95%, maybe even more, are hooked in the scissors or in the mat, you know, usually in the scissors, I believe. And you're right, when the fish takes the bait, it sort of comes back it's almost like it's almost like a piercing i think from the pictures i've seen they just come right the way through the scissors and that's where they are they've got quite a lot going for them in a way really i think that's why the longliners use them a lot as well because if you're fishing for sharks and stuff like that you haven't got to have masses of wire on the trace because obviously they're not getting them right down them so there's less of your your hook link material is going to be uh, in touch with the fish's mouth and the teeth and stuff so another good reason for possibly using them but so i think the main reason in the uk is because people don't want to leave hooks in fish and the other thing with obviously leaving hook in fish is every time you've got to then tie another hook on and it's not just the money it's the time factor and things like that as well and these things do are worth taking into consideration and i think by using a circle hook nearly all the time they'll be in the fish's mouth so it's a simple case of getting them out and then you're fishing again a lot of smaller species you know things like smaller the bream flatfish and things like that they, they're quite greedy and they will take small hooks right the way down but See, with a circle hook, they're not going to do that. So you're going to save your hook. You're probably going to save the fish as well. So, yeah, I mean, they've got lots and lots of benefits, really, for, for certain types of fishing, for sure. And uh, But, yeah, the, the main gist of it is, is just that, really. The fish takes the bait, and the way the point is, it, it just embeds itself into the scissors of the fish's mouth. And, yeah, that's it. There's no need to strike or nothing or either with them. You know, the, the fish takes the bait, you just let the bite develop, and they're on the end. Quite a unique pattern, really. Yeah, there's lots of scope in it as well. There is more and more patterns that are being developed specifically for different things. I've seen certain ones with long shanks available now. We sell one that's got quite an exaggerated wide gape on it as well, and, and they're very, very popular. We started off just doing smaller sizes, but now we, we do them right up to an 8 and I know a lot of people use them for taupe and the big skate up in the Scottish locks and stuff like that as well. So um, I, I do know people that are using them as a top hook on a panel rig as well, with a lot of success. So using a panel hook, we're using two hooks in tandem. It's quite surprising how many fish you do catch on that top hook. I know quite a few people now, good anglers, that are using them as a top hook on a panel rig um, for things you know like smooth hound and species like that, cod and things. So, uh, yeah, they're getting more and more popular, that's for sure, and I think you'll continue to see that. 
But if they offer so much, why then are they used so little? Could it be as simple as poor marketing? Is the future going to be circle hooks? I don't think the future will be, um, not for sea fishing in the UK. The main reason I think that people don't use them quite as much is the um, baiting up. Basically, you've got to thread the bait up the line. By using a circle hook, it's very difficult to, to thread that. I think, as I said before, you could use a baiting needle. I've seen people use it with worm baits. I think that makes it easier, but they're a lot more fiddlier to bait up with. And I think that is the main reason that you won't see them sort of taken over from the more traditional J-hooks. For that reason alone, as I said, with people using them as a topic on a panel rig, it's that you haven't got to bait that hook. That hook's just been nicked through the top of the bait. You're not threading the stuff through. And again, I think that's why. But I suppose in the bigger sizes, um, you know, if you're fishing for bass or congas and things like that with a mackerel flapper, then you're not threading the bait up. You can just literally stick it through the bait's nose and drop it down. And I think that's where you'll see them start to be used more more than the traditional sort of hooks because they've got all the attributes that we mentioned before and there is other one good point with circle hooks that is worth mentioning and any hook actually that's got like a what you'd call a big point where the hook point comes in rather than being straight out they are pretty good for rough ground fishing because they're less likely to snag up as you're reeling in because the point is obviously facing back in towards the shank of the hook and as i said even like beaked hooks where they curve back in you will notice that if you're fishing rough ground, you will get more of your gear back in using those sort of patterns. So that's another point that's worth mentioning, I think. So you go into the business of importing hooks, Sakuma hooks, obviously. It probably goes without saying then that you see Sakuma right up there with the best. Otherwise, it would have been a bad business plan. So with so many brand alternatives available to an already overwhelmed angling public... What was it then about the Sakuma range in terms of strength, quality and all the rest that made this such an irresistible venture? I always knew the hooks were good quality hooks. I mean, it was my former boss, Brian Rowe, that started importing the hooks. At the time, I was actually carp fishing. I wasn't sea fishing. And uh, I could just tell that the, even though the packaging was very basic, as a lot of the sea fishing branded stuff was back then, they were good and people were buying a lot of them so the, I've seen the potential there really and when we just moved it on we just brought more patterns in around it so we had the perfect starting point and I'd have to say that's thanks to my old boss for doing that and yeah when you've got a winning product you can build around it and that's what we did we looked for rather more you know other patterns of hooks to bring in to import and also other ranges of terminal tackle to bring in around it being passionate about your hobby I'm lucky that I work in a trade that is my hobby. You just give it that little bit more. You can see little gaps in the market. You can see things that you think you can improve on. And being based in the UK, even though we export all over the world now, we're based in the UK. I fish in the UK. A lot of my friends around the UK fish. So you're getting that feedback all the time and people are telling you stuff that you should be doing and what you're doing. And typical example is the panel hook that we brought out several years ago with the outturned eye. I used to bend my own eyes back years ago when there wasn't one. There was there was interned eye hooks for panel rigs, but I always liked an outturned eye because I like wrapping my line around the shank of the top panel hook to secure it. I don't use tubing or anything like that. That's how I like to do it. And with the outturned eye, I found it was better. So um, we got the hook specifically made with an outturned eye, and I think it's still probably the only one on the market with an outturned eye in the UK. And they're great. So it's just little things like that. I think that's how the, we've been able to help the brand develop really is just looking at the market we're in and just trying to bring the products in based around your experiences and those of others and uh, I like to buy stuff that's been made over here it's rods as well like I'd like to buy British manufactured rods if I can just because I think it's got that bit of heritage and the people that are making them 
been doing it for a long time and they know the market so i'd say that's probably the key thing with it is knowing your market and and what you're aiming at doing but saying that there's a lot of other good quality brands out there that do very good hooks as well i think um as i said before it's finding a pattern or patterns that you you're happy with and i think a lot of anglers i think most anglers i'd be amazed if the vast majority of anglers haven't got several different types of hooks in their their bag and, and different brands as well because i know from experience and using it myself there's some very very good hooks out there on the market and it's just finding what you've got confidence that's the key it's confidence it's, you've got to be confident in, in your product in what you're using at the end of the day you put an awful lot of time money blood sweat and tears into your fishing and you don't want something to let you down so yeah just find what suits you and what you're happy with and stick to that really some people might not like one particular style or brand and then you know but another person might swear by it it's quite a fickle thing like that i think not just with hooks but with line as well some people will swear by one but not like another like even though they might be might be very very similar i think sometimes that's where the branding comes into it a little bit but yeah, that's my take really on how Sakimura is in the UK market. I think, like I said, I think the main strength is the quality of the products and the fact that um, the range is based around what anglers would fish with in the UK. How does a company like yourself work? As you've already said, the hooks themselves are made in Japan. But who designs them? Do you send out your specifications for them to work to or do they throw suggested patterns at you for comment hoping for orders? We use a factory in Japan, the Japanese. They have a thing or two about sharpening metal. I think they're the best in the world at it. That's my view. Uh, people might argue that. They make good hooks are still made in America, France. Unfortunately, none are made in the UK anymore. Japan is, to me, that's the top of the tree for hook manufacturing. And, and um, yeah, we have a factory in Japan that produces our hooks. They do produce them to our specifications. So, yeah, we tell them what we want and they will produce those patterns. Obviously, there's a, a lot of money involved and very large quantities. So... Uh, it's not a simple thing to do. But yes, that's basically how it works. You, you tell the factory what you want from the hook and then they'll make it for you. They'll make samples, you get the samples, you test the samples, and so on and so on. But what you will find is that the, the factories will produce hooks for other markets as well. And um, as I say, you can look at other markets and see, as I touched on earlier, bream. They're caught all over the world under different names. And there's hooks that are being made for those markets as well. So you can actually take a pattern that's been used in another market and then bring it into the UK. It's what we did with the 450 Shinu pattern. I was looking for a hook for gilthead bream fishing. You might have gathered that's one of my passions. <laughs> and I wanted something that was a bit sharper than what I was using. I wanted the eye to be fairly straight, even though the eye is at a slight angle. I didn't want too, uh, too severe an angle because sometimes you use lugworm and threading a lugworm up with very offset eyes difficult. So I found this pattern that the factory was already making. Funnily enough, Shinu, it's, it's actually a it's a name for a bream, certain type of bream they catch in Japan. That was fairly easy, getting that one sorted. You know, I knew they did it. I got the samples of the different styles and I picked one that I liked. Again, that was purely because I just wanted something a bit better for my own fishing. But obviously, we put it in the market and it sells very, very well. And that's another one of the patterns, funnily enough, that people are also using as a top hook on panel rigs. So yeah, you, you can be lucky and find ones that, uh, that are already out there that you can just import, but other times the costs involved are quite high, so you've got to be pretty sure that you're onto a winner. So why did you specifically go with Sakuma? Well, as I said before, it's my boss that they were the first patterns that he imported in from Japan, so it was down to my boss at the time that did that one. They were sharper than most other hooks that were on the market at the time, and that's what really gave them their edge and, and brought Sakuma to the people's attention. They also add a lovely wide gape on them. If you're using bulky baits like crab and squid and things like that, that wider gape, it leaves the hook point clear to penetrate the fish's mouth a lot better. 
So yeah, I think they were the main things. The gape of the hook and the sharpness of the hook were key, and they still are today. You know, that, that they are the main features on that Sakima hook. That's why people buy them, because that's what they want. They want a nice wide gape hook that's really, really sharp. We started off with a standard Manta, but people wanted a stronger hook, and the extra came in just a different gauge of wire, different thickness of wire. They're still pretty much as sharp or, or near as damn it as the standard 540, but uh, you've got to know your hooks that you're using a little bit, so... Um, taking those things into consideration if you're fishing for certain fish and certain sorts of terrain you know the 540 might be better quite often they will break or they sometimes do straighten a little bit but you can get that hook out of a snag if you put a, a manta extra into it the chances are you'll lose all your kit so you have to think a bit about the sort of hooks and that you're using and that's where it can get a little bit daunting and i think sometimes that's where people they'll blame the hook rather than themselves i think people can choose the wrong products sometimes not just hooks you, you see it with line beach casters reels all sorts they'll they'll pick the wrong product for the wrong job and it's not the tackle that's let them down they've let themselves down by picking the wrong gear for that specific purpose i think that happens a lot in sea fishing so it's very important to understand the gear that you're using and how you should use it so sorry to stress that point again but i just feel it is very important but they were the main two features, yeah, the gape of the hook. Because at the time, the most popular pattern of hook was Aberdeen sort of styles, I think. And, and, and most Aberdeens have got a fairly narrow gape. They're brilliant for worm baits and things like that. But bulkier baits, you probably find an angler to be using bigger hooks to get that gape than they probably really needed, you know. So the tackle probably wasn't quite as balanced as what it could be. And I think they just fitted nicely. That style of hook just went straight into the market. And the anglers took it on board, really, and have continued to since. Putting aside your obvious loyalty to Sakuma for the moment, what, in your opinion, has been the most popular hook brand and specific sea fishing pattern of all time? Well, I suppose of all time, you probably have to say the O'Shaughnessy pattern. That was about donkeys years ago, and it's still about now in its various forms, and still very, very popular. But for me, there's a couple of patterns you know, that stand out. Obviously, the Sakuma Manta, Manta Extra are flagship hooks, and we sell more of them than anything else. But I'll pay homage to two other brands. The Camasone B940, which is an Aberdeen pattern, it's a, it's a brilliant hook. And also the Mustard 79515BR, which is also another classic hook. They're two hooks that I've used a lot in the past as well. I know a lot of anglers put a lot of faith in them, and they're both very, very good patterns, so I'd say they're good choices as well. If I had to, if someone really twisted my arm and said this is only one, one sort you can use, and you can have them in a variety of sizes, I'd probably have to go for, let's say, the O'Shaughnessy maybe? Because for course fishing, I mean, you look at patterns like the Drenum Super Specialist and things like that, they are just like a very small version of an O'Shaughnessy hook. The style of it, see the wire gauge is quite a lot thinner, but if the question you're asking me is a style of hook, but you can adapt the sizes and the wire thickness accordingly, I would probably say, yeah, maybe it is that O'Shaughnessy. You know, for course fishing and for sea fishing, I think if you just said sea fishing to me, I'd probably pick the Manta 540 or something, or maybe even an Aberdeen pattern, if you could just choose the one. But if you wanted to go into to course fishing as well, I think probably the O'Shaughnessy, you can understand why it was probably one of the first and, and why it's still being used today, because, um, you know, there's still plenty of hooks that are really based on that original O'Shaughnessy. And do you think that being confined to just that one pattern would actually make that big of a difference to your anticipated overall catch rate? Uh, yes, definitely. Without a shadow of a doubt. I believe it would. Yeah, I, I really do. Especially if you take your fishing seriously and you do a lot of fishing, you, you do really need to, to use everything in your favour and different patterns of hooks definitely come to the fore of that, for sure. To an extent I agree, but I'm not that sure, as most hooks have at least some level of support and anglers themselves often disagree which is the best for any given job. 
Maybe, to an extent, it's even a confidence thing. So far as my general sea angling goes, my confidence is always high when I tie a Sakuma in one of its various guises to the end of my line. Hence the invite here to Alex to talk us through the topic for which I, and hopefully other listeners, are extremely grateful. Mm-hmm.